Okay. Nee, zo raad, dit is zo raad, Elena. Ons gaat hem net ook zo net edit. Dit is reg. Moet nou niks doen nie. Okay, so we're just continuing there. Okay, we're going to be reading from Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11. There was no sound. I forgot to put the microphone on. Um, and yeah, we're starting from verse 11. It's, this is where Peter comes. And Peter gets people back into the law. Peter gets people back into the law. Now imagine the apostle Peter getting people back into the law. It's so easy for leaders today to also do that because there is so many times just a pressure that is put upon people to get back into the law. This can be from other leaders, but also just from society or from your situation. So many times we are in certain situations where we think that change was supposed to have been manifesting by now and we are not seeing change manifesting so we have to do something um you know i just spoke to somebody the other day and we were talking about our mindset sometimes we think thoughts that are maybe not good thoughts and we think maybe we're the only people that think these negative thoughts and then we think, well, by now I was not supposed to have these negative thoughts, and now you have negative thoughts, and now you think, well, uh, maybe there's something wrong with me, or I have to do something to get these thoughts away. I have to uh, end these thoughts in some form or fashion. And then you think, well, I've believed upon Jesus. What more must I do? And then you start to get into certain uh, uh, laws now what i'm talking about and what we are doing when we are tempted by our own situation is not always in line with what took place in galatia here but i do believe that the people here could have been having a feeling in their heart that there is still something lacking or still something outstanding and because they had a feeling that there is something still lacking or outstanding it would be easily to be tempted to go back into the law all of us right now know that there's something lacking or something outstanding as pertaining to the fullness of the godhead bodily when it comes to us we becoming older we find that we don't remember that well. We find that we forget certain things. We find that the one day we live in victory or for a month or six months in victory in certain areas of our lives. And then we see that our bodies are, the, you know, we are getting older and we find shortcomings. And as we look at the resurrected Jesus Christ bodily and we look at ourselves, we see that there is a shortcoming. And inside all of us, as Roman 8, Romans 8 says, that we are groaning, waiting for the adoption. And this feeling that we have, that something must still take place, Paul accurately identifies as the return of Jesus and the glorification of our bodies. Now, if people don't know that, they can be tempted to think that it's because there's something wrong with them. And if they are then tempted 
because there's something wrong with them or they think there's something wrong with them, they can fall back into the law. They might think, well, we need to follow after the customs of Moses or the church can then manufacture their own laws and rules and what they say a holy standard is and that people must then fall into line, toe the line and get people back into all legalism and law and at the end of the day, uh, guilt, at the end of the day, uh, condemnation. Okay, so let me summarize on what I'm saying. If God promised us eternal life, and that eternal life looks exactly like the life of Jesus, and we today are seeing in our bodies that we are still not experiencing the fullness as Jesus experiences it, in his glorified state right now, and we don't know that this state can only be attained by promise, we might think that there's something wrong with us. Inside each person, there's a longing and a desire to have that fullness that Jesus experiences bodily. That Paul identifies in Romans chapter 8 as groaning. Creation groans and we co-groan with creation for the manifestation of the sons of God. That is the day of the resurrection when Jesus comes back. So what Paul is saying is that every Christian inside him has a desire that says or a yearning that says there is a fullness that already belongs to us, that should still manifest. If we can't put words and thought to what that feeling really is, we can be tempted by um, thinking that there's something wrong with us and that we should solve that by good works or something good that we must do. That can then easily lead a person to a place where you are tempted for whatever church or whatever leader's method that he preaches or his laws and think that you think you must now do to get rid of that feeling of lack. Now, let me say it again. When a person, let's say, break his arm and go to the doctor, and the doctor puts a cast on and say to him, in six weeks you will be okay. The lack that you feel where you, when you see the cast and the lack of movement in your hand because it's in a cast and so forth, you don't worry about because you know the cast will be removed in six months. And then you will, after it's removed, then the doctor will tell you, take another two months or so for your hand to gain its full function and its full movement and all of us when we see a lack of movement are not stressed out about it because we know we've got an eight-week period for this arm to be fully restored but should a person break his arm go to the doctor and think that since the doctor has now done what he must do and his work is complete that my hand must now be fully functional If he thinks that's the case, he would be in complete stress, running from doctor to doctor because he doesn't see complete movement in his arm. 
In the very same way with Christianity, if we don't understand that Jesus died, he was raised, we believe in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit, and that there will then and that there is a hope for the Christian where we can now expect uh, in the day of Jesus the full perfection manifesting in us and that we are in this time period from now until the resurrection day of Jesus Christ that we can uh, expect certain shortcomings but that we should not try by the works of the law to fix those shortcomings but that we just simply rely upon Jesus. And that only by him can we be justified with a brand new good life. And all we do in the meantime is believe him. In the very same way as what we believe a doctor when he tells us, listen, this thing can take six weeks or three months to fully heal. I remember when I had a hernia operation, the doctor said to me, it can take months for this to be fully healed. Now, when I experienced that pain, I didn't think there was something wrong with me. I lived in the perfection that was announced and that it was saying, well, until let's say three months from now or four months from now, you can expect some pain, but you'll find it becomes better and better. And as I saw it becoming better and better while I still experienced pain, I wasn't thinking, oh my goodness, I've got cancer. Oh my goodness, is something wrong with me? Oh my goodness, I'm dying. No, I knew that that is how it works. With all that said, we can understand why the people in Galatia would easily be tempted uh, and could be tempted when Jews came and told them, listen, you know what? There's something you still need. You need to follow after the customs of Moses. Uh, you need to follow after these certain laws and then you will, um, you know, be where God wants you to be. Now, the sad thing that takes place is the moment these laws are preached to you and you start to do it, there is a sense inside a lot of people, and I can include myself because I knew uh, what happened in my heart when I became legalistic after I was in grace. I mean, when I just received Jesus, all of you know, then, you know, you're so excited. Everything is for free. Your sins are forgiven and so forth. And then you feel, well, there must be something more. Uh, that something more is actually, and what is outstanding, is the manifestation of the fullness of my glorified body. And because I didn't put words to it and didn't have understanding, I thought, well, maybe I need to pray a bit more. Or maybe, like some people say, you need to fast. Or some people say you need to give more. Or some say you need, yeah, you need to be more generous or more kind. Uh, more, more. And as I would pray more, fast a bit, uh, win more souls, I did feel better, but that feeling of achievement was actually called self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. So now you feel as if it works, but it's not really working. It is just you feeling righteous about your own works. And then when you become quiet a bit, then you will still find there's still something lacking. Because what you're lacking is the glorified body that will be given to you in the day of Jesus. 
when He returns, when the dead shall be raised, when the fullness of who we really are will manifest. So the lack that we feel is the manifestation of who we really are. That's the lack that Christians feel. It's the hunger we feel. Some people say, but I feel there's a hunger. There must be something more. That which we're hungering for is the manifestation of who we know we already are. We are righteous. We are holy. We have been made complete. We have been made all those things in Christ. But what we are lacking is the full manifestation of that. And because we see that lack, we think we must now manifest it by our works. And that's where the temptation, I believe, could come in with the churches in Galatia. Because ask yourself this question. Why would people that get saved think of your own life after you receive Jesus? You were so excited about Jesus. You were so happy about Jesus. You were telling everybody. Or you just felt so um, complete in him. Why would you after that? become so legalistic and fall back into the law and judgment and all those kind of things. To me, it's a log the logical conclusion is you know that there is something that must still take place and then you think it is your work and you get into systems where it's teaching you that it's your work to manifest what is still lacking, which will manifest by promise and not by your works. When we look at Peter here, and he was rebuked by Paul, it reads as follows. This is now Galatians 2.11. It says, When Cephas came to Antioch, this is Paul now writing, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. So even in this whole system, you find that here are Gentiles that received Jesus. They were outcasts. They weren't qualified for the, for the law because they were Gentiles. Then now they received Jesus. And still with this maybe a little bit of a low self-worth, you know, you find... Uh, people like Peter, afraid of certain Jews, a little bit of a lack of understanding on behalf of the Gentiles, plus a Peter that is afraid to be rejected by certain Jews, makes a perfect mixture to bring in laws. But thank God for people like, um, like Paul that was not ashamed to stand up for what the truth is. It reads on, it says, But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in front of them all, You are a Jew. Yet you like the Gentiles, excuse me, yet you like a you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So he was saying to Peter basically, before these Jews came here, 
you ate with the Gentiles and you lived just like a Gentile. But now that these Jews come uh, to the church meeting, you are now all of a sudden forcing the Gentiles to follow after Jewish customs. Now, and this is the message I want to get into. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Okay, so what is he saying here? This is a very, very important part. We're going to the second part of the message here. He's saying that the Jews knew that they were not justified by the works of the law. And let me explain justification. The Jews thought that the life the law tells them to live is the life of God. Do not uh, worship God. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not commit adultery. The law tells them what the God life is like. And then through knowing what to do, they can partake in the God life. But they now find that even if they do the works of the law, that there were still Romans oppressing them. They were still suffering. And that although they were following after the customs of Moses and the law, they were still in need of a Messiah. Concluding that they cannot be justified by the works of the law, but they needed a Messiah. So what the Jews were basically acknowledging in their life is, we who keep the law still need a Messiah to be justified with the life or to be given the life that God commands. Or that God, I wouldn't say command, offers and lives and want to give to us. So let's put it together. The Jews knew that something was lacking. And what was lacking was a Messiah. They followed after the customs of Moses. They weren't sinners like the Gentiles. They were righteous by being born as Jews. And because they were righteous being born as Jews, following even following the law, they, after being born as righteous Jews, following after the customs of Moses, having their sins covered by the sacrifices and so forth, they were supposed to now share in the fullness of the life that God, that they believe God wanted for them. But they weren't sharing in the life that God wanted for them. They were oppressed by the Romans. They were suffering. They were not having the land they thought they would have and so forth. And then they said, well, justice must be done through a Messiah. A Messiah must come. So here we find that Paul says, we as Jews even know that we cannot be justified by the law. We need a Messiah. So how are we... As Jews, you Jewish believers now teaching the Gentiles to follow after the Jewish customs that can never bring forth what God promised. Now, I want to go back to Jesus. Jesus, and we've had this so many times, that he was raised from the dead because he followed the law. 
That is not true. Jesus was not justified by the law. Jesus obeyed the law, but even in his obedience to the law, he couldn't be justified by the law. Jesus was justified by the Father and having faith in the Father. And he was raised up and justified with the resurrection life that the Father promised him by the Father keeping his promise. So here was Jesus. We so many times have been taught we couldn't live the law. So Jesus lived the law for us. The reason why Jesus was raised from the dead was because he didn't break any of the laws. Therefore, he was just, if, it was just for him to be raised from the dead because he didn't do anything wrong. That is not actually true gospel. That is not the truth. The truth is that Jesus showed even if you keep all the law, you're still going to die. <laughs> he showed the curse of being under the law and that you can only be justified by belief in the Father. So here was Jesus living the law perfectly, showing that you, will, you are still under the curse, even if you live the law perfectly as a human. What Jesus did perfectly was he believed the Father. That's what he did. When he died upon the cross, he died in sin. We, so ha we have this question in our heart all the time. What happens if I die and I still have sin in my life? Well, Jesus is the example. Jesus became sin. He was crucified. He died upon the cross. When he died upon the cross, in the fullness of sin, he died in that sin, didn't do anything to remove sin, which was not to share in God's full life right there. He didn't do anything to remove it. All he did was, he said, Father, my life is in your hands. And if you don't restore my life, I will never have eternal life manifesting in me. And what did the Father do? The Father raised him from the dead. We can read that in Acts chapter 2. Let me see if I find the verse. I was just thinking of that uh, like on the fly. I think it's from verse 24. Let's see uh, if I can find the verse. Here it is. It says here in verse 22, Acts 2, 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did amongst you through him, as you yourself know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Why was it impossible for death to keep its hold on him? Because David said this about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. 
I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me in the realm of death. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me your paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Okay, so what is, David's, uh, what is, what is uh, David saying and what is Paul, uh, Peter preaching here? He's saying, the reason why Jesus could not be kept by death was because the Father promised him that he would not let his Holy One see corruption. So the reason why Jesus was raised from the dead was not because he kept the law. The reason why Jesus was raised from the dead was because the Father promised him that he would not see corruption and Jesus believed the Father. That is why Jesus was justified with eternal life. Because it is just for the Father to keep the promise that he made to Jesus. So why would we be justified with eternal life? Because the Father has promised us eternal life in Jesus Christ. And when we go back to um, Galatians chapter 2 here, it says clearly, it, it, it is so beautiful. Let's read from verse 15. It says, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. The way you will be justified with a holy life and with everything that must still manifest in your life or the manifestation of whatever you feel is lacking in your life is through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, the moment we say faith in Christ Jesus, we can easily think, well, don't I have enough faith then? Because I am seeing certain things that might come short in my life. Do I have enough faith? Is my faith big enough? Do I believe enough? When we look at the uh, root text to this passage, the King James is more accurate, and even if you go and study the commentaries on um, Galatians here, and uh, my mother-in-law also bought us this brand new Afrikaans translation. I think this was translated by uh, a team of something like 190 people all of these people, learned people, historians, over a period of something like 15 years. So this is such a good translation. I mean, I, I read through this now. It is so, so good. And they also say in their commentary about that passage, this is the Afrikaans, uh, the, new, the new Afrikaans 2020 uh, translation. They even say in their uh, research there that this could be could easily be translated as the faithfulness of Jesus instead of faith in Jesus. So we can say it reads like this. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faithfulness of Jesus. So we will be justified 
in sharing in God's life by how faithful Jesus is to do what the Father commanded him to do towards us. The Father's command towards Jesus is that Jesus must be fruitful and multiply. The Father's command to Jesus is that Jesus must give a holy life to us. The Father's command to Jesus is that Jesus must raise us up in the last day. The Father's command to Jesus is that Jesus must give us the Holy Spirit so that we can have love and peace and long-suffering and kindness and meekness and temperance and faithfulness and all those kind of things in our lives. So the whole thing is in the hands of God. It is not in our hands. It is in the hands of God. It is for God to justify us with that new and beautiful life. Now, he says here to Peter and to the Galatians, we as Jews, the very the, the Jews that were under the law knew that they needed somebody to help them to have the life of God. And the Jews that has now come to the faith, especially people like Peter now, they know definitely that it is impossible to have the life that God promised by the works of the law. You will need a Messiah to give it to you and bring it forth in you. It's not by the works of the law, but by the faithfulness of Jesus. Now the rest of the, the verse makes sense because it says, So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by the faithfulness of Jesus and not the works of the law. Okay, so let's see what he's saying. He says, we know that we will be justified by the faithfulness of Jesus. In Afrikaans, ons gaan gerechtvaardig word dier hoe getrou God is. Daarom sit ons ons vertrouwen in die Heere Jesus Christus, so ons dier sy getrouheid heilige maak kan word en kan deel in die vrug van die gees. Let me try that in English. <laughs> it's easier for me in the Afrikaans, but let me try it in English. It says here that we are justified with a brand new life through, the, through how faithful Jesus is, and since we are justified by how faithful Jesus is to bring forth what God promised us to us, we have now put our trust in this faithful Jesus, and he will then justify us and bring forth what God promised us by the ability of the resurrected Jesus through the Holy Spirit into our lives. It says here, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also amongst the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, that I might live for God. Okay, so what is he saying here? To make a very complex thing simple, he's basically saying, if Jews now go 
and they are found sinners. In other words, these Jewish people are going about and they are establishing the old system again. What he's basically saying is, if he's saying to the Galatians, if Jews come and they are now found sinners towards or in context of what Christ is doing now in bringing back the old law system, does that mean that Christ is the minister of this? He's basically saying, you Gentiles don't think that if Jewish believers are rebuilding the old law system, that Christ is giving an amen to what they are doing. So what he's basically saying is, even if Peter comes and preaches a mixture message, don't think that Christ, Jesus, amens that and agrees to that. Even if an angel from heaven comes and preaches a different gospel, don't think that Jesus is now going to change his mind and say, well, because the angels say it, I'm going with the angels. Or because Peter says it, now I'm going with Peter. No. What he's saying is that we're sticking to the gospel and we're not changing from this simple gospel. We are justified by grace. And what he's saying is the law was basically telling me that I cannot be justified by my own works and that I need a Messiah. So what Paul is doing is he's doing this. Many people think, so is the law evil? Is the law bad? No, the law is very good. To me, the only way that you can fulfill the law is by believing in Jesus. Because the law is pointing us to Jesus. The law says you cannot live by the law. The law says that you need a savior. The law says it's only by a promise. So if you love the law, you will do what the law says and the law does not say that you're justified by works. The law says that you cannot be justified by works and that you should believe in Jesus. And Paul says that if people come and they preach the law as something that you must do, the customs of the law, they are lawbreakers. In other words, this is how it works. If the law says you shall not desire, and the reason why the law says you shall not desire is to show you that you cannot stop to desire by your own works and that you need somebody to recreate your body, which is Jesus, and you need to believe in him. If that's what the law says, if you, if you walk in the fulfillment of the law, you'll believe in Jesus. If somebody else comes and says, no, 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 you must now not desire and so be saved, he becomes a lawbreaker, for he's not teaching what the law truly says. If you preach the law, if you're a true preacher of the law, you preach the death and the resurrection of Jesus and that you cannot be saved by the works of the law and that you can only be justified in God keeping his promise, which is to make you holy, to give you a new mind, to give you a new heart, to bring forth his life in you, to do that now and we'll find it increase as you find the healing of somebody's arm that broke his arm and you'll find the complete healing and the full movement of the body in the full glory of God in the day Jesus Christ comes back. With this hope in mind, 
we are at a place where we don't live in self-condemnation whenever we see a shortcoming in our lives. But we focus on the hope and have an expectation that whatsoever we feel is a shortcoming, we give into the hands of God and we say He must heal it. He must bring forth life. And that brings us to a place where we always live in trust towards God and never towards our own abilities. Glory to God. It's like you guys know that for a, for a very long time I've had, uh, for months now, but eight months, I've had problems with, uh, with my teeth. And I, whenever I feel something's wrong, you know what I do? I cannot fix it myself. I cannot go into my garage here and take a drill there and take some pliers or take some chemicals that I get from the hardware store and fix my own teeth. No, my hope remains at the dentist <laughs> because I know in my own ability I cannot do it. And maybe you can go to another dentist, but Imagine now, imagine God is the only dentist there is. If you had work done and you find that there's still something wrong with your teeth, there is no other way. This dentist will have to repair it. There's no other way. Your hope will always be in him. You will always go back until it is healed because you know by yourself I cannot do it. There's no way that I can go down to Jack's Paint here and find some of the hardware stuff there and fix my teeth. No, you just go to the dentist. And then they, this is a complex case and they try something else, you know, until it is fixed. Now, um, it's like the, the case is a bit different with God because what God has done is when he gave us the treatment, he said to us, this treatment works like this. You come to me, you believe upon me, I'll treat you with the power of the Holy Spirit. First you will find the fruit of the Spirit starting to manifest in your life. And as the fruit of the Spirit manifests in your life and you continually visit me, you will find that this fruit will grow in your life and then there'll come a day when the fullness of this will manifest, and this might be over many years, when Christ will return and the fullness will be manifested in us bodily. That is how it works. So as we are in this relationship, we have peace. When we see, maybe uh, thoughts come to our mind that is not right. We don't go and say, oh, am I now not saved? What's wrong with me? No. I'm just saying, I, I, I'm at my Dr. Jesus. I am in this whole relationship with him where he brings forth life. And whenever I see a shortcoming, I don't fall back into works. I just say, Lord, I just want to say, even in this area of my life, by your promise only will I have life. Now I want to end off by just mentioning... Sarah and Hagar. If you go and read Galatians chapter 4, you will see that, and also in Romans, that there, is, there was a promise that God made to Abraham. And the promise was that Sarah will be with child. 
you know, that Abraham will have children by Sarah. Now, back in Abraham's day, uh, you know, and in their culture, you were only, because they're different cultures back then, some of them you could have many wives, uh, but Abraham's culture only allowed to have one wife. But by law, if she couldn't bear a child after 10 years, then she, by her own free will, could give her slave to her husband to bear her a child. That child would then be hers. It would be like today. Let's say Eliana and I couldn't have had children, and we then decided, well, we're going to take an egg from her, and we're going to take sperm from me, and we're now going to get a surrogate. Is that the right word? Surrogate. Um, and then she will bear us a child. It would be legally our child, but the whole process by which that child came forth was basically man-made. It is without the intervention of man and his own abilities and his own knowledge, it's impossible for an egg from my wife to find itself in the womb of another woman. So by man's intervention and our ability, that child comes forth. Yes, we find technically, you know, the life itself comes from God and so forth. But just for an example, hear what I'm saying. So we could basically, by our own ability, if we couldn't have, if God promised us children and we couldn't have children, we could go to the doctors and by the ability of man in, and the power of doctors see that a child gets formed and born. That child would then not be the one of promise if we connect it to Abraham and Sarah's story. That is used towards us to know that when God talks about a holy life, when God talks about a pure mind, when God talks about loving your neighbor, when God talks about not bringing false witness, when God talks about living in love and sharing in his life, it is by promise. It is not by human intervention. It's by promise and promise only. When Abraham brought forth a child uh, and Sarah gave the slave woman, God did not acknowledge that child. Did that child look like Abraham? Of course. Was it a child? Yes. But it was not by promise. That's the problem. God did not have a problem with a child. He had the problem with how the child came. The child was not by promise. So God felt that it is not just if I promised Abraham a child and now he has to go by his own works and Sarah's own works and his own effort and his own understanding and their own customs and bring forth a child. It's unfair. And it is unjust for Abraham to have a child in any other form but by God's way, which was a promise. So God promises us a holy life. God promises us eternal life. So if God promised it, even in the case of Jesus, God promised Jesus that he would raise him from the dead. Therefore, it would be unjust for Jesus to be raised from the dead by his own power in keeping the law. 
commands of the law or Jewish customs or feasts or whatever. It would be unjust because it was made to him by promise from the Father. So Jesus was also justified and lived lived just before the Father because of the Father that promised him. Glory to God. So I want to say to you that the Father promises you eternal life. No one can be justified by the works of the law. Justification is not a legal standing. Justification is uh, the manifestation of what is just towards God's children in the light of God's original intent and promise towards us. Amen and amen. Glory to God. Well, I trust that this message has encouraged you today. And I would encourage you to go and listen to this a few times. There's a lot of depth in this message. There's a lot of things taken together. And as you listen to this again, even if it's just a little bit of it uh, uh, every day, five minutes a day, and you are reminded of this, it will help you in the areas of your life where you feel something's lacking, not to try and self-produce, but to have your mind at rest in the love that God has towards you and knowing that His promise brings forth life in us. Amen and amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I want to thank you that we could gather just as a church, as the local church and also friends slotting in from different places in the world. Thank you for the love that you have for us and that you justify us with your life, by your life, and your doing. Thank you that even Jesus didn't have any confidence in his own works but only in the Father. Although there was nothing wrong with Jesus' works, Father, he was not justified by it. But by your faithfulness, and he placed his trust in you. And in doing that, he restored the system whereby we can trust and rely upon you. Thank you for conquering our death, Thank you for conquering sin and giving us eternal life. I declare everyone that listened to this message blessed by you. Thank you for minds and and, and hearts that are flooded with understanding and fruit that comes forth by you. Amen and amen.